we have this uh, cynical expression, promises, promises. Because uh, experience has kind of taught us that just because someone says they're going to do something doesn't mean that they're actually going to do it, right? And I would suppose that probably advertisers and politicians would be the two worst at this, um, but they certainly don't have the, the market cornered on broken promises. Um, you know, sometimes people make promises on a whim or in the heat of passion that they haven't really thought through and that they don't really mean. But for, for many of us, there have been people in our lives who have broken even their most solemn, sincere promises and vows to us. And so maybe you find it difficult and you find yourself struggling to put a whole lot of stock in the promises of Scripture. Because again, uh, you know, experience has taught us to be skeptical of, of any promise. And, and so maybe that's difficult for you. We don't, we don't want to get our hopes up only to have them dashed against the rocks. And so this is one of the challenges of faith. Now, we are continuing today a series uh, that we began a few weeks ago called Beyond Belief, in which we're, we're really trying to understand better the, the true essence of faith. And we're doing that by looking at the stories that are highlighted in a great chapter of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 11, which takes us back and the writer kind of walks us from display to display in his hall of fame of faith as he as he retells or, or calls our attention back to the stories of, of so many of those that we read about in the Old Testament who live their lives by faith. And today, we're going to pick up where we left off last week as we enter into the story of a family who, whose life of faith was really built on the premise of trusting God's promises. So I hope that you have a Bible uh, or a Bible app that you brought with you today. Um, that's always a great idea here. And join me in Hebrews chapter 11, and we're picking it up today in verse 8. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith. He made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Now, in the New Testament, as you read the many letters that are there, that the writers kind of see Abraham as the goat when it comes to people who live their lives by faith. I mean, they come back to him so many times. Paul actually refers to him as the spiritual father of all who have faith in Romans chapter four. And the primary decision, okay, that Abraham faced in his life 
was whether or not he could trust God's promises. Like the whole second half of his life was completely shaped by that decision and those promises that God had made him and his pursuit of those promises. And so to get the backstory, we have to go back to the book of Genesis. And Genesis chapter 12 contains this promise from God. It begins in verse one, where the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Now, there's a lot of blessing in that little paragraph, isn't there? Um, and, and really, Abram, Abram, he was Abraham later. He was Abram at the beginning of his life. God changed his name. So we're gonna go back and forth with those two names. But, but Abram, his, his whole story is centered around the concept that God is good and, and that God wants to bless, that God is generous. And, and this is what we see in God's promises here to Abraham. To Abraham. He, he had given him... Um, these promises of, of profound blessings that he wanted to bring about in his life. And, and these blessings, they, they very much involved Abraham, but, but they weren't limited to Abraham. I mean, they were much bigger than Abraham. So, so God promised to bring good and, and, and to pour out blessing, not just on Abraham, but, but on Abraham's descendants down through the generations and eventually to all people on earth, right? He says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So let me ask you, that includes you, right? You guys are here, you're on earth with me today. How many of you wanna receive the blessings that God has promised? Because you are someone that God has promised the same blessings to in, in a different way than Abraham specifically, but still the promise that was given originally to him is open to you. So if you want those promises, if you want the promise of God to be fulfilled in your life, then what is required by God for you to receive it is faith. It's simply faith. Faith is what he wants. Not, not just believing that there is a God, right? not just believing that, um, that you know, you're, you're kind of a spiritual person, you, know, you kind of have this, this energy about you that's spiritual, not, not just you know, thinking that good things are gonna happen for you or having sort of a positive thinking kind of, you know, vibe, which is great to have, but that's not faith. Faith is trusting in God. Trusting in the God who has revealed himself through Jesus Christ and specifically trusting God's promises. So God, again, had made Abram some promises and then he said, go. Go to a land that I'm going to show you. See, see God says to Abraham, you know, I, I want to do some things. I, I have some place that I want to take you, but I'm not ready to tell you where exactly that is yet. So you're just going to have to trust me on this. But I, I, I want to bless you. I want to, I want to bring blessing to your life, and I want to bring blessing through your life. But that can only come through a relationship of faith. 
of you walking with me. See, I, I can't do what I want to do if you stay where you are, God says to Abram. I can't do what I want to do. I can't bless you the way I want to bless you if you just kind of stay where you are. You're going to have to pack up and you're going to have to leave all that you've built for yourself here. You're going to have to leave all of that behind and you're going to have to part ways with this life that you've been building for yourself and you're going to have to walk with me by faith into a future that is far better than you can imagine. And that, my friends, that's the essence of the same invitation that God is making to you and to me. And we're going to come back to that later. But you know what? It it took a lot of faith for Abram to uproot his family and to head off to parts unknown with nothing but a promise to go on, right? Don't you think? And yet this is another example of what the writer of Hebrews chapter 11 defines faith as, which is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. That's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And and that's exactly what we see in the life of Abram here as he receives these promises. Now, later, as you read through further in in the story of Abram, you find that the land that God had promised to him and his descendants turns out to be the land of Canaan. And what's really interesting is, is that When you go back to Genesis 11, before God made the promise to Abram that we just read, you find that that Abram had grown up in a city called Ur, which, by the way, was found and excavated back around 1925, 1926, and it turns out it was a very large, highly developed city. That's where Abram grew up. But his father, Terah, had moved him and his family out of Ur and had intended to move them to Canaan. And yet, we're told that they ended up, as they're on the way to Canaan, they ended up settling down in a city called Haran, which, by the way, has also been excavated. And they put down roots in Haran instead. So why Abram's dad was intending to move them to Canaan is left unexplained in the text. But he never made it there. He got comfortable in Haran, and and he, and he just never resumed his journey. And then in the next chapter, chapter 12, God speaks to Abram and says, hey, pack up your things, follow me. I'm gonna take you to a land I'm gonna show you, which would turn out to be the very land of Canaan that his dad Terah had intended to move them to. And what that tells me is that God had long been guiding Abram's family to Canaan. Maybe you're like Terah. Maybe you began your journey of faith at some point, but, but at some point along your journey, you, you, you kind of got stuck. You, you, you kind of got comfortable. You got complacent, and, and you stopped moving forward towards the place that God actually wants to take you, to the things he actually wants to give you and bless you with. Maybe, maybe you made it to church, but you never made it to Jesus. 
You know, maybe you got involved in the community, in the community that's built around Jesus, but, but your heart was never swept up in the, the vision of God's kingdom that, that Jesus preached and that Jesus embodied. Maybe you, you got comfortable with religion, but you never actually made it to a relationship with God that has truly freed you. Maybe God wants to get you back on the journey that you began some time ago so that you can finally fully realize all that God is promising you. Now, when Abram finally arrived in the land of Canaan, the, the land that God had promised to him and his descendants, he, he came in there as a foreigner, right? And, and there was already a population there. It's not like it was an empty land. He, he comes into this, pop, to this population that had been settled there for the longest time. And, and here he is, a foreigner. And by the way, he wasn't leading an army into the promised land. So it's not like he could just come in there and say, hey, guys, God promised me this land, so everybody out. <laughs> and expect that to work. <laughs> and to make the difficulty even more compounded, turns out when he shows up finally, arrives in Canaan, the land is withered from a famine. There's not even enough food for the people who already live there. So he takes his wife and they head down to Egypt where they could possibly you know, survive this famine. So nothing about this promise to give him the land of Canaan looked at all possible. I mean, from any kind of common sense perspective, there was no reason for Abraham to, to think that, that this was going to be realistic for him to, to one day possess this land of Canaan. And Isaac and Jacob had the very same obstacles to, to their faith as well. So they, they were at best just a family of tent dwellers living in and around this, this country that God had promised would someday belong to their family, but not yet. And they had no good reason to believe that this dream was even possible, except that God had made a promise. And they believed and they went. And the writer of Hebrews says, that is what faith looks like. And if the promised land, you know, if that promise wasn't challenging enough for them to believe and act on. There was also this promise that God was going to make of Abraham's descendants a great nation, right? So uh, we find that especially um, kind of fleshed out again in Genesis 15 and verse 5, which says that God took Abram outside and he said, look up at the sky, count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Only there was just one problem. And that is that Abram and Sarai were childless. And not only were they childless, they were old. They were way past childbearing years. You know, I, I love to hear Abraham's reaction to the writer of Hebrews describing him as, as good as dead. <laughs> Did you notice that when I first read the text in Hebrews 11? Calls Abraham as good as dead, you know, before he has this child. Uh, I, I, I mean, I'm just thinking he could have softened that a little. He could have been a little more PC about that. But, you know, he's just telling it like it is. I mean, at nearing 100 years old, 
things were just not working physically the way they used to work for Abraham. And then Sarah, I mean, she had struggled with infertility through the prime of her life. And now she was old too. And so listen, guys, this promise from God, it was not only unlikely, it was flat out impossible. There was no way that this could happen. And yet, Genesis 15 verse 6 says, Abram, what? He believed the Lord. He believed him. And, he, and it says that God credited that to him as what? As righteousness. Okay. He believed, was credited to him as righteousness. Because he believed, in other words, because he trusted God's promise, he found favor with God. And it wasn't just Abraham. Hebrews 11 and verse 11, again, says that by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him what? Faithful. She considered God faithful who had made the promise. Now, now as you read the story of Abraham and Sarah from Genesis, you, you see that they had their struggles with this promise, didn't they? Like, you know, there were some hiccups along the way. There, there, the time came after years had gone by and they still didn't have a child, even after God had made this promise. They decided that maybe God needed a little help with the fulfillment of that promise. And, and, and so you know, they, they cooked up this little stunt to have a, a surrogate mother. And that turned out to be a complete disaster, which is usually what happens whenever we try to force things, whenever we get impatient and instead of letting God work out things in God's time, we try to make things happen. And, and that's exactly you know, what happened with, with them. And, and we've had thousands of years of bloody conflict between the Jews and the Arabs ever since because of, of their little stunt that they pulled. But while Abraham and Sarah did you know, kind of try to rush the promise and try to force the fulfillment of the promise, they still believed the promise. And that's what's important. And eventually, the promised son arrived. And God would later repeat those same promises that he had made to Abraham to Abraham and Sarah's son, Isaac. This is in Genesis chapter 25. And then again, he repeats the promises to their grandson, Jacob, in Genesis chapter 28. And, and, and so this, this promise of, of a nation, of a land, of a covenant relationship is, is being passed from one generation to the next to the next. And, and it must have looked just as unlikely, or at least almost as unlikely, to Isaac and Jacob that these promises could be fulfilled as it had looked to Abraham and Sarah. And yet we're told that they trusted God's promises even though I would say that Jacob's journey of faith was, was a little more tortuous than Abraham's. But he, he still got there, and he trusted God's promises. So let me ask you guys, what are you hoping for from God? Especially that seems unlikely, or maybe even impossible. Is there maybe a, a miracle of healing that you need? Maybe it's physical healing. Maybe it's emotional healing. Maybe it's even the healing of a relationship. Is there maybe a change of heart that you're hoping for to see somebody in your life, maybe your child, maybe someone else that you love and, and you're 
longing to see a change of heart towards God in them? Is there maybe um, an addiction that you're wrestling with, some struggle that you're just wondering and, and, and you're doubting if you're ever gonna be able to shake off the shackles of that thing and be free of it? Maybe, maybe God's put a calling on your life and yet you don't see any practical way that you could ever follow that calling. You just don't see how it would work and how it would all add up and how it would work logistically. What are you hoping for? It seems impossible. You see, we strain to, to see past all of the reasons why something can't happen or, or why something looks unrealistic to believe might happen or hope in. But listen, guys, faith looks beyond what seems possible to what God has promised. Okay, faith looks beyond what seems possible to what God has promised. And, and sometimes, you know, maybe we're hoping for the wrong thing from God. That happens sometimes. Or maybe we're, we're hoping for the right thing, but we're hoping for it in the wrong time or in the wrong way. And so sometimes our dreams have to die so that God's dreams can actually be realized in our lives. And that's part of it too. But, but when we have a word from God, when we have a promise from God, when God has spoken, that's when we have to decide, will we live by faith? Will we trust even when we don't see it yet? Well, the fact is that the time did come when God fulfilled the promises that he had made to Abraham, when, when God took the descendants of Abraham and, and Sarah and, and grew them into a nation of millions of people, and when under the leadership of Joshua, they took possession of the land of Canaan. See, what must have looked impossible to the ones who first received those promises became reality. And afterwards, Joshua stood before the nation of, of Israel and he declared in Joshua 23, verse 14, you know with all your heart and soul that not one of the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been what? Fulfilled. Every promise. You see, when human, or where humans' promises fail, God's promises are fulfilled. That's what we see in the, in the stories of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob. And, and so what has God promised to you and me? Well, he's, he's promised many things, hasn't he? But the writer of Hebrews here in this chapter that we're, we're looking at, when he gets to telling the story of these particular people, it's our final destination that comes into focus for him. And he makes the case actually if we go back to Hebrews 11, that Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob, that, that ultimately they had their sights set on heaven. So he says in verse 10, for Abram was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And then in verse 13, he says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised, not personally. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. 
if they had been thinking of the country that they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a what? A heavenly one, right? They were looking for a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Which is interesting, because when you actually read the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in Genesis, you you never hear a word about heaven. You never hear anything said to them. There's no recorded promise from God to those men of anything about heaven or eternal life. But the writer of Hebrews implies here that somehow that was their real hope. That was their real expectation. They died still trusting the promise that God had made them, even though they themselves would never experience it. But their relationship with God was one that that they had developed by this time that that told them in their hearts that God was promising them something more than just a land for their descendants. And it was actually better than that, that God was actually offering them himself. And and he was promising them a place in his city. And that was the best part of all. Now, back in week one of the series, I, I, I mentioned to you guys that the letter of Hebrews was written originally to Jewish Christians who were largely outcasts now in society. They, they were being persecuted because of their faith. And like them, you and I, sometimes we feel like foreigners and strangers in this world. And I, I think the more secular and the more anti-God our society gets, the more out of place that we feel. And, and like them, like those original readers of the book of Hebrews, you know, we have very clear and explicit promises from God about heaven to come after we die and about a place in the new earth when Jesus returns and at the renewal of all things. We too have been promised an entrance into God's holy city where he will live among us. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 14 says, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the what? The city that's to come, yes. All right? The city that is to come. So let me ask you, the question is, do you trust God's promise? Do you believe that? Don't expect everything that you hope for from God to be fulfilled in this life. The best of God's promises will be ours throughout eternity. Okay? And we got to remember that. Now, there are rewards of faith to be experienced here, but, but, they're, but, but they're like those you know, first pink rays of the sunrise, giving promise to the strength of the full midday sun that's yet to come. Okay, so we don't see all of God's promises fulfilled right here and right now. But like Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob, we we see them, we welcome them from a distance. We we can see them by faith. We see the unseen. We're, We're able to believe that everything God has promised is coming. It's going to arrive. And one day, finally, we will be at home in God's country. And all that God requires of you and me 
and every single person, past, present, and future, is that we would live by faith. That we would trust his promises. That we would believe that he is going to be faithful to do what he has said he will do. And that we would make our choices in life based on our anticipation of the fulfillment of those promises. As George Guthrie put it in his commentary on Hebrews, true faith is action taken in response to the unseen God and his promises. But I think we we really need to be honest with ourselves. I think we need to ask ourselves, do I really believe God's promises? Do I really trust that God's going to come through? Because if I do I'm not going to live my life like everybody else does. I mean, that's the truth. If, if I live my life like most of the people around me live their lives, that's evidence that I'm really not trusting in the promises of God. That's evidence that, that I'm really living for this life because that's what most people do. Your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, probably a lot of your family members, they're living for this life. They're not even thinking about eternity. That's not even on their radar. So if your life doesn't look much different than their life, the question is, why? And I think the answer is, you've either lost sight of God's promises or you don't really believe them. And that's that's where we've got to come down here. And we've got to be real about this with ourselves Because our opportunity is to actually live our lives with a compelling vision of everything that God has promised us. And to live our lives with a gritty determination that we're going to do everything that he directs as we wait for the fulfillment of those promises. So the next step that I want to just throw out there to you guys, this is something you can do right now. You can do this week is to saturate your mind with God's promises. Begin to just saturate and fill your mind with the promises that God has made you. Just go to the scriptures and and read through some of God's promises. Find some of those promises that maybe speak especially to, to where you are right now in this season of your life, things that you're concerned about or hoping for. Maybe... For you right now, you need to focus on God's promise of provision. Maybe you need to focus on his promise of protection. Or maybe his promise of forgiveness. The promise of his love. Maybe you need to focus on the promise that he'll give you strength to overcome temptation. Or that he's going to give you ultimate victory in your life if you're feeling defeated. Just find the promise that really you need to focus on right now. And and there's a QR code they're going to bring up here behind me on the screen. And if you'll take out your phone right now and and aim it at that code and hit hit the little link, it's going to bring up a web page for you that lists a hundred of God's promises that are found in Scripture that apply to you and me today. And I think that would be a great thing. You go to that web page, bookmark that page so you can come back to it and just start letting those verses of Scripture, those promises begin to be you know, a part of you, part of your heart, part of your mind. 
You, you could take those hundred promises of God and you could focus on one a day for the next 14 weeks. Or you could maybe look at two or three promises a day for the next six weeks leading up to Easter and all of the promise that Easter holds. But however you do it, just let the promises of God in and, and look beyond what seems possible to what God has promised. And keep your eyes on the prize. 